Jane has asked me to say a few words about our neighborhood on Mill Street and the impact Bill had on it. God said, A man shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Never was this relationship more evident than in Bill and Jane, so I can't very well talk of Bill's impact on the neighborhood without talking about Jane, too. I'm sure that anyone who has ever spent more than a few minutes with them will understand. It has been nearly 30 years since I lived on Mill Street, but I still consider it home, and Bill and Jane are a big reason why I still consider it home. I was quite small when Bill, Jane, and cute little Martha moved to the house across the street from our farm, but it didn't take me long to discover that Jane made delicious cookies. And Bill grew all kinds of mouth-watering things in his garden. They were very welcome addition to the neighborhood as far as I was concerned. Little Peter soon joined them, and he was all right, too. He's still all right, but not quite so little anymore. <laughs> Even as a child, I soon realized that Bill and Jane were different from everyone else I knew. For example, if they caught one of us neighborhood kids sneaking into their garden, rather than chase us away, they would come out and explain what the different plants were and share interesting facts about them, as if the chance encounter had been pre-planned and written on the calendar. I did my best to keep those blueberry bushes from being overladen with blueberries, too. I remember when they ordered a box of ladybugs and released them into their garden. I wasn't very big, and I remember thinking, cool, who would have thought you could order bugs through the mail? But why would anyone intentionally put bugs on their plants? Very patiently, they explained to me about aphids and how the ladybugs ate the aphids that killed their plants. I saw my first praying mantis in that garden, too, and I began to learn just how beautiful God's creation is and that some insects can actually be beneficial. Last night, there was a bat flying around in here. Bill would have taken the opportunity to explain just how many mosquitoes a single bat can eat in a night and all of the wonderful ways bats benefit mankind. I don't know how many they eat, but I know it's not enough. That's just the kind of man he was. He saw the love of God in everything, and he loved to share it. We were a wild and rambunctious bunch of kids on Mill Street, and disagreements among us were common, and Bill and Jane mediated a lot of disputes, usually with good results. And they quickly earned the love and respect of every child and every adult on the street, always willing to help, always a kind word for everyone, and I never heard a cross word escape their lips. I don't remember how I got involved with the Boy Scouts here in Houghton since I'd been a Cub Scout in Belfast and that's where I went to school, but I assume Bill had a lot to do with it. I remember he would give me rides to the meetings at times and was always willing to help and advise with merit badge work. He was the assistant scoutmaster at the time under John Robb, and I remember Bill as the quiet leader that always kept things running smoothly. It wasn't always golden sunshine on Mill Street. When I was 12, my older brother died. I had already accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, and I had a basic understanding of heaven. I knew he was in a better place, but I did not understand much about death. I remember Bill talking to me about how God loves every one of us, and it hurts God to see us in pain. But God has a bigger plan, and someday we will understand it, and we'll see that his plan is far better than anything we can imagine. I'm sure those were not Bill's exact words, but it was something to that effect, and it has comforted me through the passing of many friends and relatives that we all experience as we grow older.
I do remember his eyes were watering as he talked to me, and I realized he was hurting too. There was a kindness and a gentleness in those eyes that couldn't help but give comfort. There was a lesson in everything Bill and Jane did. Each year they would go on vacation, and I took care of their dogs and cats and chickens and rabbits and whatever other critters they had at the time. I was not paid for those chores with money, but with a gift from wherever they vacationed, along with pamphlets, postcards, and little booklets and other things of interest. Those gifts meant far more to me than any cash could. I still have a leather wallet embossed with a deer in a forest scene that came, I think, from Yellowstone. And I will always cherish it because it reminds me of the genesis of my strong interest in the geography and history of this great land and in its state and national park systems. An interest for which I will always be grateful to Bill and Jane, as well as to Martha and Pete, for they love to tell stories of the places they visited almost as much as I love to hear them. These are a few of the memories I have of growing up across the street from Bill and Jane. If everyone from Mill Street shared their wonderful stories about these wonderful people, it would fill volumes. I recently read a book titled How to Live Like a Christian. As I was growing up across the street from Bill, I didn't need to read such a book. I had only to look across the road. But Bill never lived like a Christian. Bill lived as a Christian. His Christian love and character is evidenced by the huge number of people here today and the many more that passed through these doors yesterday, but mostly through his wonderful family. Aubrey, Autumn, Hannah, Adeline, Noah, William, Every time you open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5 and read the words, And seeing the multitudes, Jesus went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them. What? <clears throat> I want you to picture your grandfather as one of those disciples at Jesus' feet. Jesus calls each and every one of us to hear and heed his words, and your grandfather accepted that challenge. And because he did... He changed many people's lives. Mine is one of them. I thank God for blessing Mill Street and all of its inhabitants with Bill's presence during his sojourn in this world. Well done, good and faithful friend. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Jane asked me to speak, some words popped into my mind or thoughts very, very quickly. They were gentleness, dedication, family, and a person to look up to. And all of them are peppered with inspiration. I started here teaching at the college and doing administration at the college, working with Bill in January 1982 long time ago, and we had a lot of snow that year, too. I made kind of a blunder. I moved in on Saturday into what was the faculty apartments, which no longer exist, and went home. I didn't want to be here all alone. Didn't know you guys. Didn't want to be here. I would start Monday morning. I'd just get up an hour early and drive from Bennington. And if any of you know where Bennington is, it's in the snow belt. And so I woke up, and my car 
was buried. And I was going to miss the first day of work. And so here I get trepidation calling my boss to say, um, I'm not going to make it. And Bill, in his very gentle way, just brushed it aside. And it was all about me getting there safely. If there was no rush. I would be there. And that was my introduction, introduction to Bill Roski, such a gentle man. And he, he defines the word. When it came to de dedication, a couple years later, I get a call from Jane, and she's a bit frantic. And uh, the cellar's flooding. And she needs to know what to do. She needs Bill. And she's been trying and trying to get him, and she can't, she can't find him. So she called me and said, find Bill. So I'm looking all over the science building. I can't find him anywhere. It's pouring outside. I don't want to walk all over campus, but well, I thought, well, maybe I better check to see if he's on campus. So I stick my head out the door of the science building there, getting it all wet. And the car's all steamed up, Bill's car. So I walk over there, and there he is, working away. He was so dedicated, and people knew that they could always come to Bill, and they would come to him to talk about their problems. They would come to talk to them about computer problems. And so the man literally had to hide to get his work done. And, and so, so I found him, and I found a man that was dedicated. Um, when it came to family, if you went into their home, like, like my brother just shared, you just weren't enveloped in love. And uh, the, the impact that that had on me, the relationship between Bill and Jane, and how that poured out to their children and to all of us, had a huge impact on me, because I hadn't grown up in such a home. And your home has impacted other lives through our lives. And it's, it's been huge, and just a ripple. And so family was key to Bill, and you, you just knew it. And how he could do all the things he did, I don't know. Finally, I was looking up to Bill, which I still do, and I always will. And many of us in this community, we have a doctorate, and we went through graduation, we worked hard for him, and it's some kind of plateau in our life. Well, in my life, that plateau is somewhere here, and four words that Bill Roski said to me, way up here. You're going to think, why is this guy getting emotional over a computer thing? <laughs> but he changed my whole life with those four words. And there was a buildup to those words. And the buildup was, I'm a new young computer analyst, and I have responsibility of designing systems for the college and programming them and writing up what I'm going to do and handing them to Bill. And he would chew over them a couple days. And if any of you know Bill, he's very, very thorough. And then I'd go into his office, and he'd review my proposal. And he'd say, well, Anthony, this is, this is pretty good, but did you think of? And then he'd list about four holes, and he'd shoot holes in my plan. And I'd go back, and then do it again, and then do it again, and eventually I'd, I'd get approval. And this happened over and over again. So one day I handed a proposal in, and I walked into the office, and I sat there, and he was scrutinizing it for one last time. And he was looking it over, and I'm sitting there thinking, oh, what is it this time? And he looked up, 
And he said, good, go program it. And that impacted my life. He had been so thorough and had showed me the importance of looking at the details and doing the job well. And his life was a job well done. And uh, we're missing him right now, but I think our Father in Heaven that we're going to be together again soon before we know it, dancing before the feet of Jesus. And he already sees the impact he's had on our lives. And he's rejoicing with Jesus because of his faithfulness. And I thank God for him and for his dear wife, Jane. It's a great privilege today to be able to speak about Bill Roski's contribution to Houghton College. And Jane, I thank you for the opportunity to do that. In Psalm 39, David asks God to show me my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath. Surely everyone goes around like a mere shadow. In vain they rush about, heaping up wealth without knowing whose it will finally be. But now, Lord, said the psalmist, what do I look for? My hope is in you. Bill Roski is a person who lived with the end in mind. He knew the number of his days and how fleeting life is. He knew the vanity of rushing about, heaping up wealth. He knew, as the psalmist said, what to look for. He knew that his only hope was in God. Bill Roski could have lived a very different life than he did. God gave him gifts in the field of mathematics and computer science at a time when most people in the world did not even know what a computer was. He was marketable in many worlds. He could have gone into cutting-edge research or headed for corporate America. He could have been in on the ground floor of any number of successful business ventures and spent his life, quote, rushing about, heaping up wealth in ways that people in the academy only read about. Instead of choosing to advance his own career, however, Bill Roski chose to advance the mission of Houghton College in a time of great change. He had graduated from the college in 1956, having majored in physics and mathematics, and was teaching at Erie County Technical College when he received an invitation to return to Houghton to teach mathematics in 1965. Shortly after Houghton acquired its first computer in 1969, and I should pause here to say that if you want to hear a fascinating history of the computers at Houghton College, you can listen to a CD that was prepared by Bill back in the 90s, close to his retirement, and it's absolutely fascinating to think of the revolution that he oversaw at the college. But shortly after the college acquired its first computer, Dr. Ken Lindley, a visionary chair of Houghton's Division of Natural Sciences, saw that Bill Roski had gifts and skills that would prepare Houghton's mathematics department as well as college operations for the future of computer technology. Over the course of 30 years, Bill Roski 
in his quiet and unassuming way as professor of mathematics and director of data processing helped Houghton be ready for a future that most of the people there at the time could not see or even imagine. In the interview that I just referred to, he describes the fear, even the terror, that characterized the various offices of the college as they heard that they were going to be computerized. People worried about losing jobs, having to learn new skills, all the worries that technology has always brought. And there's a particularly interesting section of the CD where he talks about taking on the Houghton Finance Office. And again, I don't know who was there at the time, so I hope it's nobody here in this room today. But apparently, the kind of diplomacy that was required would have made Henry Kissinger look like a novice. But thanks to Bill Roski's gentle persistence and supported by a team that included at least one person who's still in our community today, Shirley Jacobson, Houghton College, office by office and person by person, found the courage to cross the threshold into the computer age something for which we all today are very grateful and perhaps too often might take for granted. Bill Roski had retired by the time I arrived back at Houghton as the president. But from the beginning, he and Jane, also a graduate of the college, class of 1960, have been proactive supporters of all that is going on at the college. Their two children, Peter and Martha, also graduated from the college in the 90s, and their granddaughter, Aubrey, is a proud member of the class of 2018. I distinctly remember seeing Bill and Jane during the college's celebration of science several years ago. They were walking around Payne Science Center. Bill was beaming with delight, rejoicing in all that God was doing and had done in Houghton in the sciences. Only insiders would have known that day that Bill himself was a major part of what had made that legacy possible. As we remember Bill Roski today, and as we face another season of great change at Houghton College, every bit as daunting as the advent of the computer age, I hope that we can take inspiration from someone among us who truly knew what it meant to live with the end in mind. He invested his time, his talents, and his energy in an enterprise whose dividends do not fluctuate along with the vicissitudes of Wall Street. Only eternity will reveal the impact that he has had on Houghton College as an institution and on generations of faculty and students who were privileged to work with him, both because of the knowledge he imparted, but even more so by the life of humility and fearlessness that he modeled among us. He lived as he died, knowing, like the psalmist, that his hope was in God. May we gathered here today have the clarity of vision and the courage to do likewise.
I get to represent one of the groups of people that were significantly impacted by Bill, and that was the students that went through Houghton College and, and many of those that became very deep friends, not just with Bill, but with the whole family. And as I've listened to some of the other um, stories of, of interaction with, with him through his life, um, one of the things I guess I'm reminded of is just really there's no difference between the Bill that we heard about as Bill as a professor, Bill as a community member, except maybe the name that we called him. So I noticed on the program it has William. This may be one of the very few times he's referred to as William. Um, Bill in the community, Bill in his, um, his work on the, the college campus. Um, for us as students, it was Mr. Roski, and that's how we knew, that's how we knew Bill. So um, one of the things, as I tried to think back over the years, and I, was, I knew um, Mr. Roski from 84 to 88 as I was going through Houghton College, but then just kept in touch over the years and realized that this wasn't just an isolated thing when I was here. And many of us that are here were here during that same time frame. This went back over decades, uh, many decades, of, of the whole Roski family involving the students in their lives. Um, a, a few things that I guess I could narrow down um, the, the different aspects that, that I remember of Mr. Roski would be really into three primary categories and one that's kind of the glue that held them all together. So the first one of those would be faith, next one would be family, the next one would be friends, and the glue was food. So. <laughs> So, and I think that was a recurring glue through all of the relationships that we as students knew of the Roskies, Jane, um, Peter, Martha, as well as, as Bill. So, um, one, I asked a few of the other students if they had any just memories that just came right to mind to them. And I wanted to just read a couple of those. Um, so, one was from a friend, Tim Kangas, who was also a student. And... Um, this one really, really kind of brings to mind the whole aspect of what family meant to, and how family and friends were merged together. Um, Tim wrote, uh, let's see. I am much older, oh, I'm sorry, let me back up here a bit. I have had a hard time separating Bill and Jane in my memories because they always seemed to be together. They loved and respected one another and truly seemed to enjoy being in each other's company. This I observed since they first invited me into their home during my first year at Houghton College. I also saw how they loved and valued and prayed for their children. As a new Christian, I found this memorable. I am much older now, but Bill's example as a husband and father has always stayed with me. And what was remarkable was that Bill and Jane invited me and many others into their warm family life. For many of us, the Roskies became our family away from family. I'm grateful to Bill and Jane and Martha and Peter for living out their Christian faith and for allowing me to see Christ at work in their family. So I think every single one of us as a student would have that same, same exact feeling. It really was family away from our family. Um, as far as friends, um, Bill was one of those that um, you just felt like the first time you met him, he was a friend. He wasn't somebody you had to warm up to and get to know before you could really get to um, feel like you, you had a deep relationship. It was just one of those things that was very natural. Um, I think the food part was one that many of the students that I talked with brought up as a recurring theme. And, and Jane was very, very diligent in making sure there were pie, pies and uh, various flavors. Um, 
Bill would always be involved in. I heard lots of comments about, you know, grilling over the in either the fireplace or the wood stove, um, different things in the house. Um, some of the later years, it was more on a an actual real grill out on the back porch. But there was always always food involved in that, and for that, the students were very grateful. Nothing against Houghton College food, but it was just it was kind of a reprieve. <laughs> so. Um, I tried to take some of the, the words that came back from the various students that gave input. And one of the things that occurred to me was there's on the internet, on web pages, there's a thing called a word cloud where you take a bunch of words and it's like the words that appear most often become bigger and bolder and more visible. And so the interesting thing to me was for, for Mr. Roski, it was like taking words like shouting gentle and kind and you know things like that those are the ones that are so bold and stand out on the page and there were a lot of others too like strong and leader and um, there was listener consistent I'll come back to consistent um, cheerful um, caring and concerned for others um, that one was just a very visible to every student that went through their home was just the the caring um, and concern for them um, as well as in their family a godly man and stellar example. Um, one of the students um, summed it up as humble lover of people, humble, humble lover of Jesus, as a way to really sum up Bill's life. I thought about one of the things in interacting with Bill was sometimes, especially if, if there were people around that liked to talk, it might be kind of a one-sided conversation, or it might seem that way, because Bill was very careful and almost like he had each of his words counted and used them, you know, very carefully. He wasn't going to waste a word in that. And so I almost wondered if maybe when it came to, you know, this, this week, maybe Bill had just used up his final word, and so it was time to, time to move on. So um, one, of the, one of the other, um, I mentioned consistent, and that's one that, that certainly come back to quite regularly. And... Um, Nancy Cole actually had, had given me some, uh, a memory that she had of this. And she says, I lived with the Roskies one summer during college. Dad Roski was so consistent in how he lived out his faith. That gentle spirit and kind heart was consistent all summer. Sometimes when you live with someone, you get to see all their sides. When they are tired, stressed, etc. He was consistent. It wasn't a front he put on for others. It was truly who he was. And earlier this week, I, as I was trying to think through some of my memories of Mr. Roski and, and thinking back, and I just kind of had a thought of, you know, I wonder if that's the same that everyone else saw. And I asked Peter, just said, um, so Peter, you know, here's, here's who we saw your dad as. Is this the same? And I couldn't even get the whole thing out of my mouth. And Peter said, yep, same one. So we very much loved and appreciated Bill Roski. Thanks from our family. Thanks. This is a great community, and we're well blessed. Dad was a good man. <clears throat> he was a very good man. Thank you for all the kind words, all the kind thoughts, all the kind cards, all the kind prayers, all the kind everything that comes out of this community. 
from north to south of this place here. We appreciate it. Let you know that we feel blessed. <clears throat> Growing up on Mill Street, like Marty would say, <clears throat> was a good place to be. And uh, we lived right next to the Canadia Creek. And the Canadia Creek, we'd, we'd like to hike up that creek quite a bit. <clears throat> and when we went down with our friends or our family, um, quite often we'd try to cross that creek. And a lot of people didn't want to get their feet wet. So we'd jump from stone to stone. Sometimes we'd build a bridge, but we'd jump from stone to stone and trying to keep your feet dry. But it was inevitable sometimes there'd be a slippery stone or there'd be a, a loose stone, and they'd fall in. And they wouldn't just get their feet wet. They got everything wet. Well, I'm going to try to do this without getting my eyes wet. I don't know if I'm going to get my eyes a little bit wet or if I'm going to get my eyes a lot wet if I fall right in. <clears throat> I may just end up reading it. <clears throat> I'd like to share a little bit about my father from a son's perspective. My dad was big and strong. Not only physically, mentally, and emotionally, my dad was strong in the faith the faith in the one true living God through his only son, Jesus Christ. Yesterday, one dear family friend reminded me that he had known my dad for 49 years. He said dad helped him move into his house when he first came to Houghton. 49 years. I'm 44. That's a long time, I think. Maybe not as long as some, but it's, it's a nice time to know friends and family. And that's what we have here in this community, a long time between friends and family. He said, remember, Peter, it's not how you start that matters, referring to the race we run, <clears throat> run, it's how you finish. Your father ran the race well, and he finished well. Yes, my dad, my father, ran the race well, and he finished well. Thank you, Dad. Dad was born on a farm in the hills of Belfast. The barn was on one side of the road and the house on the other. If you were to follow the road past the farm and under the railroad bridge, you'd come to a small the small town of Rockville, where there once was a post office, a train depot, a store owned by my father's uncle, and a few houses, at a <clears throat> and a one-room schoolhouse where my dad's great-grandmother once taught classes. On up the hill, you would travel to where Route 305 between Belfast and Cuba is now and past my father's grandfather's sawmill and then on to his farm. Here my father had spent many hours with his grandfather, William, who was also big and strong in the faith. <clears throat> the years were difficult for some in the 30s. My grandfather soon took a job <clears throat> at Acme Electric and moved his family from farm life and on to Prospect Street in Cuba. There my father grew up playing football, baseball, basketball. And if you were to look through some of the old Cuba Greyhound yearbooks, you may just come across a picture of a young skinny kid holding a badminton racket standing next to his partner with the title, Allegheny County Badminton Doubles Champion. My father shared stories with us about his life in Cuba 
of how he would stand on the bridge that went over the railroad and wait for the train to leave the depot that President Theodore Roosevelt had once stopped at years before. He said the train would slowly start up, make a loud noise, and as, if, as it would create enough power to make it move, large dark smoke would billow from the smokestack as it would pass under the bridge moving towards friendship. He also would tell of the times the neighborhood kids in the winter would race down the snow-packed streets on their runner sleds, or share about his two pigeons, Pete and Pat, or his cat that would climb onto the porch roof at night and into his bedroom window that he left open for it. And he said one night it brought in 27 mice. I don't know if that's true, but I imagine it probably was. I might just remember it wrong. <clears throat> or the sad times of when he had walked home from football practice and his dog Tippy didn't come to greet him. Because an hour, and he always got sad when he told this. <clears throat> because an hour before, Tippy had been hit by a car while crossing the road to greet his father while he was walking home from work. <clears throat> After Dad graduated from high school in 52, he attended Houghton College, graduated in 56, and then volunteered into the United States Army. The Army assigned him to the Chemical Corps and sent him to Dugway Proving Grounds and Salt Flats of Utah Desert, <clears throat> where he spent the remainder of his two-year service studying the dispersion of chemical gases when used on the battlefield. It was here that he was first introduced to computers, and at that time, only God knew the direction he would lead my father with the knowledge of computers he was beginning to develop. I asked my dad once, Dad, what is the earliest memory that you have? And he said, I remember, <clears throat> or he said, he remembered at the farm playing in the ditch near the road. However, he didn't remember this because at the age of four, he shouldn't have been near the road. He remembered what he was looking at in the ditch. And if he knew Dad, he liked to look at things and look at him closely. <clears throat> you see, he said, the night before there was a heavy fall frost, and in the ditch... <clears throat> was a thin sheet of ice with spiderweb-like cracks laced through it. He continued to explain how fascinated he was by its intrinsic design and by its frailness. For every time he tried to pick it up, it broke. He then transitioned into thinking about God's creation down to the most minute of detail and creativity and how throughout his life he always found himself standing in awe of God's creation which if you look at the bulletin, we have a picture of Dad standing with his grandson Noah, not merely watching a sunset, but in awe of God's wonders. My father was a man of deep faith and one sovereign God, a man disciplined in his faith, a man of strong character with a strong will. a man of immense patience filled with God's grace. It was his desire to serve God in humbleness, and that dictated the way he acted, the way he expressed his love, the way he saw life. I shared one of my father's earliest memories. <clears throat> and now I'd like to share an early memory of mine, of my father. I remember from an early age, coming down the stairs in the morning, if I woke up early enough, I think he got up at 5.30, five o'clock, 
to, sm- to the smell of oatmeal cooking on the stove. My father would still be in his pajamas, on his knees in front of the couch. His Bible would be open in front of him. His hands would be on his forehead and, and his comb over through his fingers. In humble supplication before God, asking for his guidance. That's how my father started his day. At night, he would gather around for family devotions and family prayer. That's how my father ended his day. Another memory of my father would be on Sunday morning, camping in the Houghton Woods with a group of young Boy Scouts. That morning, we had lashed a cross together and hung it between two hemlock trees. Behind the cross, down a little embankment, was the Houghton Creek. We could hear the water as it passed over and through the rocks, occasionally knocking some of the small rocks loose. That was our prelude. The morning sunlight passed through the hemlock canopy as if it were our stained glass windows. We had gathered for Sunday morning worship. I believe that morning my father shared with us Psalms 19. This is where I might fall in. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. As the chapter continues, it reads that the commands of the Lord are radiant. The psalmist asks God to keep us from willful sins. The last two verses state, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing. In your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. When I think of my father, I often think of this chapter in the Bible. Now, we're not here today to talk about dad's sickness because we really loved him and we really enjoyed him while he was here. And we celebrate where he is and we mourn our loss. But his sickness invaded. I definitely will get wet. Sickness invaded, cancer invaded my father's life, but never tested his faith. My dad was big, and he was strong. In his darkest hours, towards the end when he lost control, of his eyes and his tongue and almost all strength was gone. Our dear pastors came to pray and visit. My dad lay in bed and was well aware of what was being said. And after Pastor West prayed and was preparing to leave, my sister caught my father's eyes and called Pastor West back to the bedside. My dad, I don't know how, mustered enough strength to slightly move his head and his eyes and try with all his might to verbalize to Pastor West what he had been resting to say. His body wouldn't produce the words or even the noises he wanted it to, but I know what he was going to say. And what he was trying to express to Pastor Wes, he would want to say to all of us here today, and he said this to people who came and visited as he held their hands and stared straight into their eyes, I love you. You were good friends. Fight the good fight. Love your spouse. 
Love your family. Love your community. Be a good neighbor. And above all, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Because it's worth it. It's worth it. You see, my dad stood firm in the faith. He was a man of courage. He was strong. You know the verse. He did everything in love. He fought the good fight. He finished the race. And he kept the faith. Dad, you finished well. And we're all thankful. Please be seated. I want to give you an opportunity to share some of your uh, brief remembrances of Bill. Uh, 
We do have a, uh, a wireless microphone that we we'll encourage you to use and hold that close to your mouth, and that will actually prevent uh, feedback from happening. And it, that will allow everyone to be able to hear what you're saying. So we'll get that microphone to you. So I want to give you a few moments, those who would like to just stand where you are. We'll get the microphone to you and give you an opportunity to share a brief remembrance. Hi, I'm Sonia. I had the honor and the absolute privilege of being Bill's home care nurse over the last uh, three to four years. I never knew Bill when he was not with cancer, but the Bill I knew and that I got to love was the same Bill that all of you met. However, I do have to add, I never did get the pies and cookies, which leads me to a story that Probably the last smile any of us saw out of Bill was Saturday night. Peter had called me at home, and he said Bill was a lot weaker. And I went over, and I was there for several hours, and I got to tell the story after I'm hearing everybody talking about pies and cookies and food, and I'm eating carrot soup, which was delicious, made by somebody named Sunshine. But I never doubted anything that was given to me by Bill and Jane. After one day I went there, and I made the mistake of saying that I hadn't had anything to eat yet that morning. I was rushing and overslept, whatever the case may be. And Bill had a juicer. And out comes this little juice cup of the most neon green fluid in it that you have ever seen. And... You just didn't say no to Bill and Jane. They were just the kindest people that you've ever met in your life. And you just totally trusted them. And I knew they wouldn't kill me because then I couldn't do Bill's blood work and, and, um, and I couldn't go over Jane, what all the results meant and that, you know, how things were looking this day. And I took it, said a prayer, <laughs> brought it to my lips, and it was delicious. It really was. <laughs> just the kale made it look very interesting. But um, I love my Houghton community. I've taken care of many people in this community. Um, uh, the Houghton community, I've always had a faith, but this community has certainly strengthened any faith that I've ever had. I've learned that MKs are not machine guns. They are missionary kids. Uh, it took me a while to figure out that one, but uh, finally did, thank goodness, because John was talking about being an MK the other day. And, um, but... I don't find it at all unusual that Bill, that God chose this time of year to take Bill home. It's the most joyous season of, of our entire um, faith, the, the Easter Lenten season. And I don't think that there was any, I think the only more perfect day Bill could have died would have been Easter Sunday. Um, but it's just absolutely no doubt in my mind that Bill or that God chose this, well, we know that he chooses when he's going to take us home, but it didn't surprise me at all that it was this time of year. And thank you again. And Jane, no, I will not ever forget you. And yes, I will continue to stop by. Thank you. So I met Mr. and Mrs. Roski because 
The first year that Mrs. Roski taught first grade, she had my dad in school. And the first year that we moved to Fillmore, I had Mrs. Roski as my fourth grade teacher. So we had a lot of fun memories growing up, being over at their house playing with Peter and Martha. And the most recent memories throughout the years have been um, at Christmas time, because our family does Christmas caroling um, to a couple special people in the community, and the Roskies are one of them. So that was the last time I got to see Mr. Roski was um, on Christmas Eve when we went Christmas caroling, and it was a treat to be over there and see him. And I know that he always loved, both of you always loved um, the Christmas carols. I'm sunshine with the carrot soup. <laughs> um, the food comment is so true. My um, daughter's very emotional like I am. She came last night and couldn't even come in. But she said, I just will never forget when they had us over to celebrate that you were done with your dissertation. And they're so proud of you like they were your mom and dad. I said, that's because they're one of my mom and dad's here. We don't, we didn't grow up here. We were alumni. We don't have these internal connections in this very small community. But the Roskies and a couple of other families just pulled us right in and made us part of their family. And so it just spoke great volumes to me and was a great honor to Bill and Jane. It's working. Is it on? Oh. Uh, just, a, just a few brief words about a, a different aspect of uh, Bill and Jane's life. Uh, my name is Jerry McLean, and I taught at Fillmore Central School for many years with Jane and a number of other people. And when we retired, slowly but surely, one or the other would retire. And we would get together uh, for a Wednesday morning breakfast club once a month. We, our latest meetings were held down in, uh, in uh, Ace's uh, restaurant in Belfast. Sitting around the table, some familiar names. Uh, Dick Kennedy, who's been retired for many years, who was the music maestro there at, uh, at Fillmore for many years. Uh, Dick Forkey, uh, Bruce Brenneman, uh, myself, uh, Larry and Vesta Mullen, uh, and of course, Jane and Bill Roski. And the, the group of us would sit around the table over breakfast, and you'd never guess what we talked about. <laughs> the good old days of teaching, back in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s, which were the, the golden years, we call them, uh, of, of teaching in those days. They were great. And I truly enjoyed uh, all of their conversations in, in the company of uh, Bill. He was a very fine man. A lot of people referred to him to this morning as a, as a real gentleman, and that he was. He was truly 
a gentle man. And I enjoyed visiting with him over those practices. And uh, maybe they'll continue. It, uh, our numbers are dwindling slowly. As a matter of fact, there were some months that Bill didn't make it. Uh, he was having some difficulties and undergoing some other treatments and uh, just couldn't, uh, just wasn't up to getting out for breakfast uh, that day. So, Jane, uh, I, I want to uh, express my condolences to you and how much I really enjoyed your company along with your husband. And hopefully uh, we'll get together again uh, someday. Uh, for breakfast in the future. It was a real pleasure. He was a great guy. You'll be missed. Thank you. Thank you. Hello. <laughs> I just wanted to share a memory that I have of my grandfather. Um, one of the things that he'd do with us grandkids is in the morning we'd make pancakes. And because of Grandpa's love for nature, we'd make stuff from creation. Um, our favorite were the sheep and dinosaurs that I would make with him. And another fond memory is Moss Lake in this area. Grandpa would take us around and show us the plants and tell me what tree was what, what pine cone came from where, and help to develop a love and awe for nature that I have that he also gave to the rest of our family as well. And I think I speak for the sake of all the grandchildren here that... We will miss our grandfather very much and that we are very touched by how he has touched our lives. Both our grandparents have been very involved in our lives. They would take us on trips every summer and just pour their love into us and we will forever be affected by that. They have helped to develop a strong faith within us and have given that strong faith to their kids, which they have passed on to us as we are growing up. And I will forever be thankful that God blessed us so much to give me a grandfather like my Babu. They have helped me very much in my faith walk. Um, when I was little, I named my grandparents Mamu and Babu. Um, I didn't really realize the significance of Babu's name until later on. Uh, when I was 13 years old, I got involved in missions and um, started raising money for a well in Africa. I'd always wanted to learn the language Swahili, and one day I was looking up Swahili because I was curious. And I looked up the word grandfather, and the computer played Babu. Babu. And mom's like, who's saying grandpa's name? And I was like, I clicked it again, Babu, Babu. I was like, I named Babu grandpa in Swahili before I even knew I was interested in missions. So, so that was always a, that was a reassurance to me of where God was leading me. And my grandparents have always been such a big support in that and everything else that I and my, um, fellow family members do and I'm just very thankful for getting to know him as long as I have and being able to live with my grandparents these past few months and just thank you for everything that you guys have done for our families and your prayers thank you I just want to interject a little light note here. I am Bill's cousin, and we were kids growing up, and Bill played a terrible practical joke on me. I was just, well, I must have been less than eight years old, and so he was about seven years older. 
And we were playing dentist. He and another cousin assured me no way would they put that terrible filling in my mouth until I opened my mouth, and they did. A big glob of flour and water and all this junk went in my mouth. That's probably my first earliest memory of Bill. <laughs> Later on, one summer I was living with Jane and some other girls. We were all going to graduate school. And I got to know Jane. One day she and a friend of hers went out for a walk. And while they were out walking, she came back with a frog. She caught a frog, and I thought, oh, brother, of all the nature freaks these are, she belongs with my cousin, Bill. (laughs) (laughs) So I introduced them, and then the rest is history. (laughs) That's terrific. Thank you. I'm Bill's sister. And uh, I have a lot more stories to tell that doesn't sound so lofty. <laughs> but uh, we, we uh, had a, a wonderful time. He was five years older than I, and he loved to tease me. And uh, I was always afraid there was something under the bed at night, and I'd go and look under the bed. And one time he... Uh, fixed a string to the closet door and he would pull it shut you know and one time he was under the bed and he like stuck something up under the bed so there was always a lot of fun going on there it scared me to death that I've always had to sleep with a light on Uh, but we had a large neighborhood and um Bill was kind of a ringleader, and there was always lots of kids around. And uh, like Peter mentioned about coming down the hill, uh, we had a hill that we would slide down, and we had skis. And uh, he mentioned also the railroad tracks. And at that time, there were um, um, hobos that would get off the train there because it would slow down, and they would sleep under the bridge. And uh, so we had to be careful of that. And one time I was walking home from school, and, and Bill uh, was there, and uh, one of the hobos came up out of the, from underneath and came near me, and he grabbed me and took me uh, fast home. But that was, um, he was always very protective, very caring, very loving, and he was a wonderful brother. And uh, if you need to know any more stories, I have some. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to, I mean, I've been known the Roskies for, gosh, I don't even know how long, probably since second grade. Me and Pete have been pretty much best, I would consider him best friends. I mean, we hung out. He was at my house every weekend, or I was at his house every weekend. But as far as the cooking-wise, Absolutely. Every time I went there, Mrs. Roski would be, oh, make sure you get dessert, or what do you want for dessert, or got dessert made, make sure you help yourself. So that's one of the biggest, uh, definitely, <laughs> the food and cookies and brownies and pies there were always 
great, take my word for it. To be missed out on that. So. <laughs> Mike's up on this side. My name is Matt Hess. I'm one of the original MKs that started some of this trend way back in the day. And uh, my memories go back from, you know, the MK, the real MK from Medellin, Colombia. That's where I grew up and our family grew up. But when we came to Western New York, we found a home away from home. And some of you knew that the key was in Scamper's little how to get in. So they would, they, they might wake up in the, in the morning and see us crash there at their house. And um, my earliest memories are um, sledding down the, probably in third grade, sledding down in that little creek area down to uh, the bottom of the, you know, from the house to the creek. Anyway, uh, two, two important memories for me, um, one a while ago, was right over here at the altar. And I'll never forget it. It's something that I go back to often. Um, Pastor Walters preached one of his fiery sermons, and people who were up front. And, you know, and, and we didn't do altar calls very often. I don't know what the altar call policy right now is at Houghton Weston these days. Um, back then, their discussion was, we're not doing enough of them. Let's do one a year. Um, something like that. And so um, I went forward, and I was thinking about a million things. I don't know, Colombia, South Africa, who knows. And I was crying away, you know, and... and going through my things, and he put his arm around me, and he didn't pray for me. He didn't pray with me. We cried together. And to me, that was was very significant. And the last little story I'll say was from uh, about a month ago. Uh, we came down to do kaleidoscope class from, from Rochester, and we stopped out. Brad and I stopped out to see Bill, and he started a story as a 10-year-old in Cuba, with his dad, with the men from the church, tearing down these one of these old buildings and building the, the Cuba Wesleyan um, church there, uh, North Park. And it was, those, those are the memories that um, will stick with me and others as well. God bless. Thank you so much for uh, sharing today, and hopefully you'll have more opportunities to uh, offer words of remembrance to the family at the luncheon, or by a note, or a card, or a phone call, or a visit, and uh, all of those are appreciated, and uh, just one more way that we support and care for each other. The scripture reading this morning is from Psalm 23, familiar passage to many people, but uh, such powerful words. A Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, 
and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is one of those days that we gather with very mixed emotions. We are sad because one we've loved and one who has been such an integral part of our lives is no longer with us. Our sorrow and grief are real and deep. At the same time, we come today recognizing that in our grief and in our sorrow and in our pain, that God is with us. He's ministering to our needy hearts and helping us, giving us strength and working His healing grace in us. 
And there are many ways in which uh, God works his healing in our hearts. And one of them is the gifts, the gift of a memory, the memories of a life well lived. Many of you have shared your stories, your memories, and I suspect there were many others going through your minds as others were talking. When I think of Bill's well-lived life, the word that comes to my mind is a word that I heard a number of times as many of you shared. The word that comes to my mind about Bill is gentleness. I think Bill understood that gentleness accomplishes far more than harshness and power and might could ever accomplish. I think Bill understood the words of Proverbs 15.1 that a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. My impression of Bill was that he had this uncanny ability to be used by God to bring peace and calm into potentially difficult situations. I was visiting with Bill and Jane not all that long ago. We were sitting out on their little screened-in porch. And uh, Bill was telling me about something President Mullen was referencing about the, the college moving into the age of computerization. And uh, Bill was given the task of spearheading that. And I'm not sure it was a role he relished, but it was a role he was given, and so he did it. There was a lot of stress, as she was describing. And they were talking about how it was an atmosphere of fear and uncertainty. And all of us feel that when something we don't understand is being, in a sense, it feels like at least forced upon us. And you have people, I mean, Bill wasn't just about the equipment. It wasn't just about making sure the equipment kept running, but it was about helping people embrace it. And, you know, when, when people have spent their whole lives working with typewriters and paper are now being asked to use keyboards and printers, it's a hard transition. And you think about you're being asked to save files instead of file files. And it was a highly stressful time. And it wasn't because people were obstinate, but it was just the unknown. It's that sense of not knowing what was happening. And there are people in that circumstance who would have said, look, do it. It's the right thing. Get over it. But Bill was so awesome. As the story was unfolding and you just sensed that I could just see Bill going from office to office, person to person, gently, humbly, carefully bringing them on board. And I am convinced that God put him into that very spot to do this very task because his personality was exactly what people needed. His gentle spirit made much more progress than a demanding spirit ever could have. Now, when I heard that, them tell that story, it didn't surprise me one bit because I had seen that firsthand eight or more years ago in this very church. When I came 19 years ago, we, we, the church was talking about what we're going to do with our organ that was falling apart. 
And we spent a long time deciding and debating what to do. And finally, we came to the point, the church made a decision, we're going to buy a new organ, this organ that you see behind us here, this beautiful instrument. That had the potential to be extremely divisive, as you might well imagine. A lot of conversations, a lot of different opinions, a lot of strong opinions. I don't think it's a coincidence that Bill was head of the trustees right at that moment. And he so wonderfully, gently guided us as a church through that process. And God used him in trustee meetings, in congregational meetings, in a whole variety of ways that I probably don't even know about. In conversations with people. To turn something that could have been so divisive into something that actually brought a spirit of renewed unity among us as a church. From the stories I've heard, Bill did the same thing on when he served on the school board and on the town board and it seemed like every place else that he was asked to, to lead. And it's not that Bill didn't have a backbone or he didn't take stands about things that were important, but Bill tended to show that side of resolve and toughness primarily when he saw people being disregarded. When he saw people who were vulnerable or at risk being taken advantage of. And of course, it's not that Bill was perfect. He'd be the first one to remind us that he was far from perfect. None of us are. And I'm sure that despite what it may have looked like to us, sometimes being gentle was a struggle for him. But I'm also convinced that Bill would have wanted us to remember that any good we saw in him that gentleness of his character, they weren't there because he was such a great guy, but because many years ago he surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. And what we saw in Bill was the result, the fruit of God's spirit living in him. Gentleness is a characteristic of God. We might not always think that of God, but no one is more forgiving, no one is more merciful no one is more willing to offer second chances and third chances and thousandth chances than God is. And King David, who does some pretty bad things, says to God, Your gentleness, O Lord, has made me great. God's patience with David's sin. God's willingness to let David mature. God's willingness to give David all kinds of chances. And... and David responds to people with kindness and mercy and with compassion and love and patience because God responds to David with kindness and mercy and compassion and love and patience. And it's this gentleness that leads Jesus to surrender himself to his enemies, to evil, to the cross. And it's through the love of Christ on the cross that you and I are offered hope and life even in the face of death. It's because of the gentle love and patience of Jesus that we can come today to this place of death and and have a spirit of hope. And our hope isn't rooted in the gentleness of Bill's wonderful life, but in the gentleness of Jesus to whom Bill surrendered his life.
It's because Bill surrendered his life to Christ that he's now resting in Jesus. And we know he will live eternally in the loving presence of Jesus. See, heaven is not a place for people who are good. It's for people who have responded positively to God's loving, gentle invitation through Christ. And if you know Bill, you know the truth about him was that he would be the first to tell us that anything good we saw in him was because of what Christ has done for him. And I know that Bill's desire for all of us would be to live in the joy and the peace and the hope of Christ for us. And we can because he loves you. He loves me. He loves all of us. He offers strength and joy. He offers peace and life in our grief today and every day. And he wants to be the center of our lives as he was Bill's so that we can live in the fullness of all that he created us to be. On this day of grief and sorrow, we can still rejoice because we know that through the love of Jesus Christ, Bill is resting in the joy and presence of Jesus. And in the midst of our sorrow, I pray that every one of us will hear God's invitation to live in his love, resting, rejoicing, surrendering to his gentle, loving care, now and forevermore.
May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore.